Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to Keep pressing on here through through Daniel in this series called God Strong. I don't know if you noticed or not, but I got some new specs. Yeah, at the end of uh, end of June, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I was I probably if you have glasses, you probably have this experience. But I was squinting a little bit to see, you know, far away, and and I was holding things out a little bit further, you know, so. Off to the eye doctor I went. Dr. Potter up here in McCordsville is a good man. So he tells me when I'm there that I'm in the stage of my life that my eyes are changing and getting worse. But then they're going to level off and they're probably not going to change much after that. And that's kind of how eyes go. So he, uh, he gave me some glasses. And so I'm, I'm seeing things a little bit better far away and, and, and better up close. But you know the one thing that these glasses don't help me see is the wonderful, awesome, abundant, good grace of God in my life. You know, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if, you know, like the anti-reflective coating they put on your glasses, you know, if they could put a coating on there that would help you see the grace of God in your life every day. I mean, wouldn't it be great? I mean, that's one of the things that I want to get better at seeing. I believe God is involved in our lives. Every one of us, believer and not yet believer alike, He's involved chasing us, pouring out His love on us, pouring out His grace on us in a variety of miraculous ways. And I want to be able to see that, especially as I get older. I want to see it more and more, the ways that He's dousing me. Well, listen, in these verses here in Daniel, chapter 9, verses 20 to 27, God is dousing Daniel with grace. And it's grace to be God strong. And from what we're going to read here, we can drink in the same grace that Daniel's getting. So let's, let's, we're gonna read it all up front here this morning as we get started. Um, pretty amazing verses. <clears throat> While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight, at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. We thank you for the grace that's being poured out here on Daniel as he's seeking you for mercy. We ask, Lord, that as we uh, seek you as well today, that that same grace might be poured out on us to strengthen us and to help us, to help us persevere. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, at the beginning of chapter 9, we can remember that Daniel has just recovered from this physical illness that he had after seeing a vision in chapter 8 about the suffering of his people. And so he gets out of his bed and he runs to God's word and he starts searching God's word for answers about how long this suffering is going to go on. And he's reading the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, he reads that it's going to be 70 years that this, this suffering was going to go on, but that the 70 years was almost over. And so he's overcome. He's overcome with grief in his spirit and he begins to turn to God and confess his sin and to plead for him, to plead to him for mercy. And then in verse 20, God responds to him immediately. There is grace from the visit that he gets. Now as I read these verses this, this week, I, I couldn't help but think, you know, I could have ended last mes- last week's message with these verses. You know, last week we were on this mountaintop peak with God. We were in His presence. We knew that He had heard our prayers. You know, and we knew that He was working on what we prayed about. But then as I read them, I was kind of glad that I didn't because there's grace here to drink in. And I can hardly read these verses without getting a tear in my eye and feeling a lump in my throat for the love that God is pouring out over Daniel. As soon as Daniel's prayers went up, a word went out. He had God's attention. Now, how he was able to see this, I don't know. But it says, Gabriel came to me in swift flight. You know, so it's like God said, Gabriel, get down here as quick as you can. Boom, swift flight. And so, this is not the first time Gabriel has visited uh, Daniel, uh, he also was visited in chapter 8 when he got that vision there. But there, Daniel was frightened by his appearance. But here, it kind of sounds like they're old friends. You know, kind of like, knock on the prayer closet door. Daniel opens the door. Oh, hey, Gabe, long time no see. I'm sure that's exactly how it went down. So Gabriel tells him this. He says, hey, Daniel, I'm here to make things clear. I'm here to clear things up for you. And I'm here to make sure that you know you are greatly loved. There's three expressions of grace that we can drink in along with Daniel. There's grace for the broken, grace for the confused, and grace for the insignificant. 
All of that in this. Did you know that God runs to the brokenhearted? I mean, He flat out sprints. This is one of the most comforting truths that we can know from our Bibles um, because of this world that we live in, this difficult world that's hard. I mean, we get bad news all the time. And sometimes that bad news comes to our home. But the truth is, God has a heart for heartbroken people. And He runs to them. Daniel saw Gabriel in swift flight, flying fast to his side. Gabriel said, as soon as your prayers started, word went out from God. You know, I think most of the time we're of the mind, you know, that God's not acting quick enough. You know, he didn't, He's not answering quick enough, He's not acting quick enough. But listen, right here, we see something different, don't we? God's on it. He's immediately on it because of the heartbroken uh, Daniel pleading for mercy. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Now, I, I don't believe that we'll get a visit like Daniel got from Gabriel, although it's not out of the question. But I, I do believe we get visited by angels. We just don't know it. You know, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says about angels, Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. So, there's a group of angels that it's their job to minister to us. And then in uh, Hebrews 13, 2, it says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. So, be aware that there's angels that are ministering to us as we go through this life. And we just don't know it. It, It's not going to be the face-to-face meeting, the special grace that Daniel got with Gabriel, but we're going to get them. We don't have to be Daniel to get a visit. Fifteen years ago, I listened, listened to a book on tape. Remember tapes? So I listened to a book on tape called This Present Darkness. It was by a guy named Frank Peretti, and he writes Christian fiction. And this was actually his first published book. And so this book was all about this little town called Ashton and the spiritual warfare that was going on in that town. And it kind of went between what was going on on earth in the story and what was going on in heaven in the story. And so it was just this really um, kind of vivid look at what happens You know, as we're walking around struggling through life and spiritual warfare is going on, and what happens in heaven as angels and demons are battling each other. And my details of this book are pretty fuzzy. It was 15 years ago. But I do remember one thing. The angels, their hands were tied to fight the battle and, and to win if the saints didn't pray. And so when the saints, this small group of people, would go to this small church in Ashton, when they would get together, all of the angels stopped and looked and said, Hey, They're praying. Get ready. So the prayers were heard in heaven. It was gone out. And so when when we start praying, God hears. And then He starts to work. And when those prayers are coming from a broken heart, He's running to you. He's sending ministering angels to you to strengthen you, to to comfort you, to give you what you need. You may not be able to see them like Daniel did, but we'll definitely be able to feel them because there is grace for the broken. There's also grace for the confused. Daniel had questions about the vision that he was getting, the word that he was reading in Jeremiah. Had questions, and Gabriel was sent to clear things up. He says, I'm here to make things clear. I'm here to help you understand. You know, I know that school started, right? Uh, So that means that our students have gone into a new grade. 
And that means that they're going to be learning new stuff. And some of that stuff is going to be hard stuff. And it's going to make you confused. I just want to remind you of this, just, just so you don't forget. God is an expert at every subject that you're going to study this year. He's an expert. He, he knows all the answers. He actually invented it all. So um, try this out. When you're having trouble understanding something, do what Daniel did. Run to God and ask Him for, for clarity. Ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for understanding. And then look for the answer. Because the answer is going to come. Now, it might come as a God-given light bulb going off in your head. That, that's definitely possible. But it, it, it could also come other ways, like maybe through mom and dad, sitting down with mom and dad at the kitchen table and saying, I don't get this. And dad's like, I don't get it either, but let's try to figure it out. And you figure it out. That's what happens at my house. Or it might come through sitting down with your teacher, you know, saying, I need help understand this, and, and they clear things up. Um, or maybe a study partner sitting down studying with somebody. You know, all these different ways. God's good grace. Do you believe this? Do you believe God's an expert at every subject that you're going to study? Well, try it out. Trust Him. Next time you're confused, talk to Him about it and look for where the answer might come. Now, this also goes for, for all you other students who are not in school. Because we are all, obviously, lifelong learners. You know, we're always learning. And um, the thing is, just when the confusion in life after school gets, to the, the stakes just go up. You know, it's not like we're getting confused over long division or Spanish or, you know, something like that. Life's throwing us crazy curveballs. And we get confused about why our health is the way it is. Or why this work, why this job is so hard. Why is it going so badly? Or why is my family so messed up? Confusion. All around on, on all of those things. I mean, politics, people, they make life confusing. Natural disasters, social injustices. Why, God? Confusion. Your personal pain. Uncertain future. All those things make life confusing. When you're confused, when things aren't clear, take it to the Lord in prayer and wait on Him. Wait on Him. Now, you're not going to get the high beams on your life when you ask God, but you're going to get a lamp for your feet. And He's going to show you the next step. And you'll have clarity to take that. Because I know this for sure. You know how I know? Because there's grace for the confused. Gabriel's message also tells us that there's grace for the insignificant. Grace for the insignificant. Remember what Daniel prayed last week? He prayed this, We are but a byword in our world. So he's saying we're of no consequence as a people. And, you know, we can feel that, can't we? In, in our life, we can feel like we're nobody. When we are not measuring up in our life, when uh, we are left out of the loop, when we are uh, looking at things and they didn't turn out as, as we planned, when our best effort wasn't good enough, when we come to the altar with the same sin that tripped us up last week that we asked for forgiveness with, in all of these things, Make us feel insignificant, unlovable, unlikable, not worth anything. It's constant. Now, there's, this is where Daniel um, is with God. And God wanted Daniel to know. He wanted to make sure that he knew he was greatly loved. So high, highly treasured. He was important. He was precious, as another Bible, another version said. 
He's highly esteemed, highly valued. This is how God sees him. Now the world is always going to find a way to tell you, you are nobody. That you are not measuring up, that your best isn't good enough in this competition that we're in. It will always find a way. And some of us try to combat that voice with our own voice. And we tell ourselves again and again, I'm okay, I'm just as good, and we, and we try to compete. But our hearts will never be convinced by our own voice telling ourselves that we're okay. It will never be able to speak loud enough to overcome the lies that Satan throws at us about who we are. But it is an altogether different thing when you get this grace from God, when you know what you are to Him. Now listen, we know this verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. We know that verse. But listen, Daniel uh, 9 verse 23, it changes that verse. It is, for God so loved me that He gave His only Son. You are highly esteemed, important, a somebody. God's hearing your prayers. He is working. He is acting. There's so much grace to drink up in these three verses. Read them again and again this week. See what God is pouring out on Daniel because you can, you can receive it for yourself. It's there for you too. Now we get to the fun part. Have you ever asked somebody a simple question looking for a simple answer and the answer you got back from them was more complicated, made you more confused them, it was more complicated than... Well, it appears that this is what is happening to Daniel. Um, in 400 A.D., uh, there was this brilliant scholar and linguist, a church father named Jerome, and he was looking at this passage, and this is what he wrote about it. Because it is unsafe to pass judgment on the opinions of the other great teachers of the church, I shall simply repeat the views of each and let the reader decide which to follow. And then he listed out nine conflicting views about these verses, and he declared, I don't know which one's right, if any of them. So this is not an easy thing to consume, but the purpose of this vision was to make things clear, not more confusing. And so I'm going to do my best to not muddy the waters too much for you, because if we can get clear on it, there's grace from the vision. Grace from the vision to receive. Now Gabriel begins with this description of time. Seventy weeks in the ESV, I think it says 77s in other versions. So 70 weeks that are decreed for his people, um, and so for this restoration project. So the question is, that we, we should answer is, should we read 70 weeks as chronological, or should we read it theologically? Chronologically or theologically? If we read it chronologically, then we're taking 70 times 7, and we're looking at 490 years. You know, something like that. But, we can also read it theologically, and, and uh, it's not so much a certain number of years, but it is 70 weeks is more equal to a uh, perfect amount of time. And we can conclude that because the numbers 7, 10, and 70 are used in the Bible to represent perfection and completeness. So you remember when uh, Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother, and, he, he, and then he threw out the number 7. You know, thinking, yeah, that's, that's got to be pretty good. You know, forgive somebody seven times. And then Jesus comes back and he says, no, not seven, Peter. Seventy times seven. 
Listen, nobody interprets Jesus as saying that, hey, Peter, you need to, you can forgive up to 490 times, but on 491, you don't have to do it anymore. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying to Peter, your idea of forgiveness is too small. And there's something bigger going on that you need to see. And I think that's exactly what we should believe here about what we are reading here on about the 70 weeks. There's something bigger going on here. Something bigger than Daniel's praying about. Daniel's praying about the restoration of his people, the Jewish nation. And God's saying, no, no, there's, that's going to happen, but there's something bigger going on. There's a bigger restoration project happening, and it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of time to make it uh, come around. Um, so the description of the events that we get from 23 on down help us to figure out what this 70 weeks looks like. Um, and so it's, it's going to come in three stages, this, this 70 weeks. And the, the first stage is seven of the 70. Okay, seven of the 70. And it's the immediate answer to Daniel's prayer for mercy, his, his pleading for mercy. It's the immediate answer. It's marked by God's word going out to start the restoration process. So Daniel prayed, word went out. That's important. Daniel prayed, word went out. Start the process. His word initiated, God's word was initiated by Daniel's prayers, his pleading with God in mercy. There's grace to drink up right there. There's some understanding for us right there. We've got this sovereign God. We know He's sovereign. We believe He's sovereign. We believe He knows what's going on in the world. He is sovereign over history. He's proven to us time and again in the Word. What He says will happen has happened. And so we're looking at that and we see this sovereign God who's all-powerful. He's got this plan to recreate the world. And we know that plan's going to come around because He's sovereign. So why should we pray? What do we need to pray about? It's all going to pan out. Why do we even need to understand it? Let Daniel's experience teach us something here. God uses the prayers of His people to usher in the kingdom, to do His work. We need to get on our knees and be praying about our life and about the kingdom of God and the people that we love. Daniel, his example, it's an example of James chapter 5, verse 16, that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It's an example of that. So the word going out from God to, to rebuild Jerusalem, it happened through a, a king, King Cyrus. And he decreed it in 538 B.C. And that's when the, the decree went out. Jews could return to their city, Jerusalem, and they could start the rebuilding process, start cleaning up the mess. And you can read about that in Second Chronicles chapter 36 and Ezra chapter 1. You can read the decree. God's word going out. Now, Figuring out when stage one ends and where stage two begins isn't very easy. It's not very clear. It kind of sounds like the ESV says that uh, stage two starts when the anointed one shows up. But if you go and you read this in other versions, um, NIV, King James Version, uh, New American Standard Version, they all say it a little different and they all say it the same. Okay, the, Those three all say, say it the same. And here, here it is in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. This is... Um, same verse. Know it, know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. So stage one of the 70 weeks kind of blurs into stage two. And we don't really know when it ends. But we do know stage two is 62 weeks long. 62 weeks long. And it ends when the anointed one shows up on the scene, and Jerusalem is 
rebuilt. Well, the anointed one that they're talking about is, is Jesus. And we know that Jesus has come. And when he came, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple was finished. And you can read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and other places in the Old Testament. So, so what we can discern there is stage one and stage two of the 70 weeks are complete. That's 69 of the 70 weeks for this vision. And that's where things get really interesting. Stage three, the 70th week. Now, many people, um, and this is the dominant teaching in, in the American church, they see that this prophecy is put on hold right here. And uh, that a church age begins. And that so as the church gets built through this age, when it's all done, then the church is taken out with the rapture. And then this prophecy begins back up. The 70th week starts and uh, the great tribulation begins. Um, and, and all of that stuff. I, I think if you have any idea about end times, if you watch any end time stuff on TV, that's what they're talking about. I don't believe it. I've never believed it. I've never been able to swallow it, that this just gets put on pause. And there's not a good explanation for why. There's other ways to look at this. The first advent of Jesus is not... You know, at the end of the 69th week. It's at the beginning of the 70th week. Jesus ushers in the 70th week of this prophecy. And when he comes, the, the, Jerusalem's built. And it's, it's restored. The temple's restored. It's an amazing building. And then, you know, they did. It said it was re, be rebuilt in troubled times. And it indeed was. They were, they were under Roman occupation when, when this happened. So if that's the case, which I believe it is, we are in the 70th week of this prophecy right now. In verses 26 and 27, these events are not something that are future to us, but something that is in our past. Now, I hope that this isn't going to be more confusing, but I want to offer a way to read verses 26 and 27 that will, that will help you see how this could, could be played out. Um, it's easy to kind of be reading along there in verses 26 and 27 and think that 26 happened first and then 27 happens. You know, like so, so 26 happened on Monday and 27 happened on Tuesday. But, but you don't have to read it that way. You can read it that verse 26 happened on Monday and verse 27 also happened on Monday. So these verses are not read in sequence, but they're read in parallel. And they're talking about the same thing. So let me try to explain this. Got a, got a slide to show you here. So there's first half of verse 26 and the first half of verse 27. And when you read them in parallel, you see verse 26 begins, and it's easy to see who they're talking about. The anointed one shall be cut off. And so that is Jesus. He's being cut off um, by, his, by his people. And, he was, and we, we know that story well. He was betrayed, denied, convicted, crucified, dead and buried. Didn't in there, but I'm just... Get back to that later. So when we read in parallel these two verses, we jump to verse 27. It says, He shall make a strong covenant with many. So you can see that the he of verse 27 is the anointed one in verse 26 that would be cut off. So the he in verse 27 is Jesus. 
It's Jesus. And it says, so seeing that, the strong covenant that he makes with many is what? The gospel. It's the gospel. Arguably the strongest covenant ever made. And he made it with many. It says that it would, he would uh, put an end to the sacrifices uh, for half, half the week. And that's uh, partly because Jesus' sacrifice was the last sacrifice needed for the atonement of sin, to forgive sin, to put an end to sin. It was the last one needed. But then in uh, 70 AD, which we'll get to in a minute, um, the temple was torn down, put an end to the sacrifice. Okay, so let's just take a, take a quick step back here and we should ask ourselves. Um, it's always good to ask yourself this, is when you're interpreting scripture, when you're trying to figure out what it means, what is happening at the time that it was written? So does it, the way I'm, I'm saying that this isn't, that we're interpreting this, the meaning that we're taking out of it, does it match up with what Daniel is experiencing? Does it match the context? Okay, so uh, that's what we have to answer, and I believe it does. Remember, the vision is an answer to Daniel's prayer. What was Daniel praying about? He was praying about Jeremiah's prophecy of the restoration of Israel. The 70 years of, of suffering and then the, the restoration of it. Well, the prophecy kept going, and God told everyone through Jeremiah that he was going to make a new covenant with people. It's in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Listen to this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So Daniel, he's reading that. And he's asking God questions about when. And when's this going to happen? And Gabriel shows up and he says, there's something bigger going on here. There's something bigger. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The strong covenant that, that is made with us. Now, in verses, uh, what about the other half of the verse? Here's, here's, here's another slide uh, to show you. Uh, the other half of verses 26 and 27. So you've got the prince who is to come that shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then you've got the, the um, abomination shall come from the one who makes desolate. So you can see there's another parallel right there. Um, that, that, you know, it's easy to see that. Well, well, what are they talking about there? Is that somebody that we're still waiting on to show up in our, in, in our you know, headlines? Or is it something we, we can read about in our history books? And actually we can read about it in our history books. In 70 AD, the Roman army attacked Jerusalem and destroyed it. Just totally wiped it out. And they, they killed many of the citizens. The uh, historian Josephus, uh, the Jewish historian, he said that over a million people were slaughtered in Jerusalem when the Roman army attacked and they tore the city down brick by brick. And this is what Josephus writes about the aftermath. He says, And truly, the very view itself was a melancholy thing. For those places which were adorned with trees and pleasant gardens were now become desolate country every way. 
For the war had laid all signs of beauty quite waste, nor had anyone who had known the place before and come upon it suddenly would have recognized it again. So it's, it's hard to, uh, to picture this event in history, but, you know, I was kind of thinking about Hiroshima, you know, when the bomb dropped on over there and it just destroyed Hiroshima. That seems to be what's happened here. And if we can picture that in our minds, you can look back and say, man, that sure matches up with this explanatory prophecy that Gabriel is telling um, to Daniel. So if that's the case, if the 70 weeks, you know, if all this stuff is accomplished already, what's left? What's left? Well, let me show you another uh, slide here. One more, bud. So this is kind of a summary of that, of that 70 weeks, uh, the way I'm teaching. You can see the first two stages there, 7 plus 269 weeks, and then Jesus comes on the scene beginning the 70th week. Jesus dies there, and then 70 AD, which happens in the middle of the 70th week. And so what's left is the last half of the last week. The last half of the last week is what's left. And at the end of it, Jesus is going to return. And he's going to, uh, when he returns, the church will be raised from the dead and the those alive go up, meet him in the air, and we usher him back down to set up his kingdom on earth. And the kingdom of God will come in all of its fullness. That's what's left. So, where's the grace? Where's the grace to be God strong? Well, back in 2015, many of you know this, I tangled with a Canadian goose. Right out here, you know, before Meyer was here and everything. Well, that led to an MRI and then eventually to uh, shoulder surgery and, you know, all's good in the past. I remember that MRI pretty well. Now, I don't know if you've ever had one before or you've heard rumors of having an MRI, but the rumors are true. Yeah, so they lay on this table and they shove you into this tiny tube. And so, you know, you go in there and it just wraps around you. The top of the MRI thing, there's this blue line and that's all you can see. And you, it's so close to your face you can't focus in on it. Yeah, so, so you're in this tube. And all, all they told me beforehand was, okay, don't move, don't fall asleep. And if you need to get out, here's this little little ball that you can squeeze that'll you know stop the whole process. So you got an escape ball, panic ball you can squeeze. So I, I do confess that I I almost squeezed the ball. I mean I'm in this tube and I'm feeling it. And my the more I'm trying to tell my brain, don't think about this. It wanted to think about it. It wanted to squeeze the ball. I mean I wanted out. So they give you headphones, and you can listen to music. And so I'm listening to music while this is going on, and every now and then the MRI tech would come over the music and say, okay, how you doing? And just, she would just ask me how I was doing. And then, then she started saying, all right, you're half done. And then a little bit later she'd come on, she'd go, okay, you're, you're almost there. Hang, hang in there. You know, and then, you know, you got two minutes left. And her voice in my ear kept me from squeezing the panic ball and I didn't have to do it again. Well, this Daniel, this prophecy in, in Daniel 
can be the voice telling us we're almost there. We are almost there. We are in the last half of the last week before we get to see Jesus face to face. And if we very simply look at this prophecy, we see that God is faithful. Everything He told Daniel was going to happen, it happened. So everything He's told us it's going to happen, is going to happen. He's going to come back for His church and set up His kingdom. Now, I don't know how much longer week 70 is going to last. I'm not really worried about that. That's not uh, what we should be concerned about. Um, But what we should be concerned about is, are we ready for it to end? And so, you should ask yourself two questions about readiness. One is, have I entered into a covenant with Jesus that forgives me of my sins based on what He's done on the cross and not what I can do to to earn it. Based on His life rising from the dead, that mine will too. Am I trusting in that covenant? Jesus made this promise to us. Am I in on that promise? When I see Him face to face, is He going to know me? Do I have assurance that my life belongs to Him, that I'm in His hands and nothing can separate me from that. Listen, if you don't have that kind of assurance, then you're probably not ready for the week to end. And if that's you today, come and talk to me about that. We'll have a good conversation and then we'll talk to God and have a better conversation. So if you want to be ready, let's let's do that. And then the other question you should ask yourself is, is there anything in my life that is keeping me from living God strong every single day? Anything in my life that's keeping me from living God strong. See, when Jesus comes, I don't want Him to find me dabbling in some sin. It would be so stupid. I don't want Him to find me, you know, just running after the things of this world. I'm just distracted and I'm running after what this world has to offer and I'm not about His kingdom. I don't want Him to find me sitting down on the couch watching Netflix. I don't want Him to find me that way. So we should ask ourselves, what are we hanging on to? What is tripping us up? What's slowing us down? What is distracting us from God's kingdom? There is nothing more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ going out, kingdom of God growing in your life and through you. Nothing more important, believer. What do you got to do to get ready for this week to end? Go ahead and watch this while you think about that. People get ready. Are you ready? Let's stand. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your promises. Thank you for the the hope that we have that one day you're going to enter back into this world and we're going to get a visit and see you face to face and hear your voice, feel your embrace. And our hearts cry out for that day, God. We say, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But as we do, we know, Lord, we know people that aren't ready. And so we bring a sacrifice of praise this morning. 
trusting that your love is going to work in this last half of the 70th week for all of those people that we know who aren't ready. And so, Lord, as we get ready to go out into this world and know that there's people we're going to meet today that aren't ready, we know we want to shine for you. We want to speak for you. We want our hands and feet to be your hands and feet. We want to give a witness for you that you are loving and good and merciful and you have done something incredible to save us. So give us opportunity, Lord, to do that today, wherever we might go to point people to you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who nudges us in our life, who who moves us to people. And, and I, I pray for those maybe here today that aren't feeling they're so ready. Lord, give them understanding, give them clarity, help them to know how to trust you in their life. It's not just about knowing about you, knowing what you did for us, agreeing with it. It's about knowing you, living for you, living a life of worship. Speak to their hearts today, Lord. Help them. Pray for those, God, that know they're not ready because there's something in our life that's keeping us from being everything we can be for you. Maybe it's something we need to let go of. Maybe we're distracted by the things that we have to experience in this world. Maybe we're hiding in the dark. Messing around with sin. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. We want to run for you. We want to be a Jesus freak. And only you can make us that. We lean into you there, Lord, and trust that you'll show us and help us take a step of obedience, whatever that may be. Now we love you so much and we want to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.